Hello and welcome to our brand new podcast, Red Shirts. This is a podcast about Star Trek from three friends. My name's Jake Donaldson. I'm a comedian and writer. I'm joined by my two super Star Trek nerd friends, Nathan Thomas and Maddie Churchhouse. They are Star Trek aficionados. I am brand new to the world of Star Trek, however, in my own right. This is a show where they try to teach me about the history of the complex world of Star Trek through reviewing a different episode each week. So I'm really looking forward to it. So we're going to boldly go where no one has ever gone before with our first episode, which this week, which episode are we looking at, guys? A mock time! Maddie, I feel like Maddie should um, explain what happens in it because she's literally dying too. She looks so happy. A Mock Time is the episode of the original series where Spock has to fuck or he'll die. <laughs> he will literally die. It is. It's the one show where his balls turn the same colour as the shirt he's got on. <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. The thing I with the Vulcan that... blood, it would be more of a kind of like evergreen yeah that's true yeah he's got green balls that's what he's got (laughs) i noticed when i was watching it though that they take great pains to never say the word sex yeah i know it's all about like biology (laughs) (laughs) they keep talking about um about how his blood is on fire (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was like we it's the 60s we can't say horny or sex or anything yeah so spock (laughs) has to fuck or he dies there's a weird Vulcan ritual which involves lots of jingle bells and tin foil and people wearing hats on their heads. The, the, yeah. Aggressive zoom cameras so, where it like sweeps towards Leonard Nimoy's face, but like coming from the side, <laughs> so it's all at a forty-five degree angle. Yeah, like an insurance advert from the early two thousands. <laughs> so, for context for the listeners, right? You, you guys have watched this episode before. I have I have never seen this before. This is actually only the second ever episode of the original series I've watched. So I've only seen the I've seen the first ever episode of the original series, uh, but I was quite drunk when I watched it, so I don't recall it that well. Um, and I think I fell asleep in it. This is my first time I've watched an original series episode sober and with my wits about me. What a baptism of fire. Yeah. I think it is, it is widely thought of as one of the best original series yeah. episodes there is. Well, I did read that, and that, uh, I read that it's considered to be one of the best original series episodes that there is, and that has not given me a great deal of confidence for the rest of the original oh. series. <laughs> oh, dear. Because my, right, my first... Look, look, look. I, I liked it. I enjoyed it, right? It, it was just very... I don't know. 60s i mean yeah it, it it's it's got that sort of campy original series vibe that i was expecting sort of uh there is so much gay subtext jay yeah. <laughs> is that not the main and only draw of the original series like why are you guys watching star trek <laughs> i'm only here for the gay subtext yeah no it's i i'm i'm mostly interested in the queer element of it but um i mean that fight scene definitely has a, a, a la- I wouldn't even call it subtext. It's just straight up 
I mean, straight up isn't the right use of the... But mm. <laughs> Choke me on the sands, Daddy Spock. Choke me against the sands of Vulcan. <laughs> so, I've listened to a few Star Trek podcasts. Never has the, the words choke me, Daddy Spock been spoken in any of the others. I, I think I know where we stand in the podcasting world now. Look, look if, if, if we ever get to the point where we want podcast merch that we can sell, I think a t-shirt that says choke me, Daddy Spock on it. <laughs> and just has a picture, a cartoon picture of Maddie's face being choked. <laughs> Yeah, making the Vulcan salute. salute at the same time. With my tongue through the centre of my fingers, like, like a Amazing. So before you made it weird, fun fact, this is the first time in any Star Trek you see the Vulcan salute. It was made for this episode. Yes, because this is the... between Vulcans. Yeah, because this is the first episode that they uh, ever beam down to Vulcan, isn't it? So this is the first time yeah. that Vulcan's ever been shown on TV. Other random trivia I could find, only time in the original series at all where you visit a main character's homeworld in the present day. Oh, that's All the trips to Earth are time travel episodes. Yes, that's true, yeah. Well, I say that's true, I've not seen any of the other episodes, but... <laughs> <laughs> Jake's claiming to have knowledge he doesn't yeah, have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Just so we know where we stand. <laughs> what, it, what it actually is, is that I've, uh, I've travelled uh, back from the future to be able to do this podcast, and in the future I've seen those episodes. Um, I did also notice, and I want to ask you whether this is a thing, because I've purposely not Googled it, but... Um, there's a matriarch of the Vulcan people who who turns up to preside over the thing. T'Pau. Her name is Tapau, right? Spock's grandmother, it, the head of his clan. Is Tapau? Is that where the band from the eighties Tapau got their name? I've no idea. Oh, have no have Tapau taken their name from this woman off of Star Trek? Because I feel like that. Because either that, or there's literally a time traveller who wrote for Star. Gene Roddenberry is a time traveller who's gone forward to the eighties listen to the music of the band Tapau and then come back. Yeah, the band formed in 1986, taking their name from the, a Vulcan elder of the same name in the sci-fi series Star Trek, yes. according to Wikipedia. Makes me so happy. Deciding the name, they were called Talking America. I'm so happy about that. a shit name. <laughs> yeah, I much, I much prefer Tapau. The sad thing is that Tapau the band are probably now the more famous Tapau than... The original I would T'Pau. disagree, uh, because I think T'Pau, the Vulcan grandma, is a legend, and I've never heard of this band. <laughs> You've never heard of T'Pau? T'Pau, the Vulcan legend, is, like, one of my favourite characters in this. Yes! Yeah. She, in some of the more intense um, Kirk Spock erotic fanfiction that I've read, because <clears throat> I think it's clear that that's where we're going to go with this episode, um, <laughs> Spock exclusively talks like that in bed with Kirk. Oh, no. <laughs> and he's like, can... Ah, uh, can thee put thou hand on my Vulcan penis? It really takes me out of the action. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, oh, dear. So, I mean, in this episode, then, for, for some context, the, the, the plot is Spock's going through. I already explained the yeah, plot. Yeah, I know, but. It, Spock has to fuck a whole guy. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's all there is, is yeah, to Yeah, it know. is that. I mean, yeah, halfway through it, before I realised that that was what the sort of main gist of the plot was going to be. Um, <laughs> I, I did. I, so I was making notes as I wrote it, and what, the first note is just in capital letters. It just says, just have a wank, mate. 
<laughs> I feel like it's probably. I thought about it. It's probably quite dangerous for Spock to have a wank because, uh, like, because of the whole Vulcan, Vulcan nerve pinch thing. Like, is he just gonna? Oh, that's a death grip. Yeah, like a death grip on his cock is gonna. Like, it's not. It's not. It's probably quite dangerous. I, I, it sort of puts it into some context. I think I understand why uh, he's having such a hard time. Just as an in-character question, do you guys think that Spock does have a wank? on the regular or maybe just the cheeky one in the sonic shower like do you think that we all know i'm sure we all know that like masturbation is a healthy part of jim kirk's daily routine but um, do you think that spock also has a wife? yeah there's definitely some if you looked into the search history of the holodeck the, the, <laughs> there'd be some weird to power related bullshit there. science officer why are there 12 hours of holodeck simulations related to there must be on the sands of Vulcan choking each other look, out. There's a reason one of them's called Bones. Science. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bones is obviously filthy. Oh like, yeah. This man keeps a bottle of whiskey in a drawer in his office, and he's supposed to. Fun fact: uh, This is the first episode that uh, Chekhov is in. He's uh, he's not in any other. Oh episode. really? Yeah. He, this is the first uh, instance of him. Uh, or at least the first instance of him being on the bridge anyway. He might have been mentioned previously. Oh, but okay. Yeah, I learned that through uh, my, my, my Googling. It's the, thing, it's the thing I notice in a lot of Star Trek is that characters you know to be part of the crew, they never like quite settle on who is where in any series for a long time. Because the next gen, if you watch the first series, there are a thousand characters and none of them are in the right place. Yeah, I've, um... I find it really sad how that happens, especially with the original series, when they're changing the bridge crew around so much. There's um, Lieutenant Bailey, who's the one that um, Chekhov, I think, replaces. But no one cares about him. He did shit all anyway. But the one that's obviously the most sad is um, Yeoman Janice Rand, who... The blonde lady with the absolutely iconic beehive. She was originally introduced to be a kind of um, female foil for Kirk. And there was a bit of a romance built up between them. But the studio basically decided to write her out because they thought having her as a love interest would mean that Kirk couldn't flirt with the female guest star in every like <laughs> ever every other episode. So oh. then they just got rid of her. And wrote a love story between him and Spock instead. <laughs> and wrote a love story between him and Spock instead. I don't see why we couldn't have had both. Yeah, my, my thoughts on that are that they've gone, oh, we've got this character who we originally planned to be uh, a foil for uh, Captain Kirk, and then they watched this episode and then went, oh, God, there's so much foil in it already. <laughs> <laughs> there was certainly too much foil on those tambourines that the Look, were Can we talk about those tambourines for a second, please? <laughs> Because <laughs> right, so they're in the the battleground thing where the where the uh, yes. the the ceremony takes place. When you get there, um, before any of the Vulcans turn up, there's this sort of uh, what I would describe as a uh, a sort of shit wind chime. Um, <laughs> shit wind chime is so accurate. that's what it is, and it's so embarrassing because the Vulcans are so such a proud race and i think especially like in the jj abrams films when you go to vulcan it's like all sleek and modern sexy and like you know exposed brick walls they're definitely like the scandinavians of the universe (laughs) but then when you go to vulcan in a mock time you're like 
what is this absolute shit? It's like an episode of Doctor Who when the BBC obviously only had a five pound budget. <laughs> they made everything out of tin foil and a piece of plastic. That okay, is literally well, what it is because it looks the background looks like it's been made out of the same stuff they made morph out of, and and <laughs> and, and then there's they're sort of sat in this kind of um, weird kind of Stonehenge esque sort of ring and then they get there and there's this shit wind chime that's made of these sort of green pebbles that are dangling behind <laughs> them that are being blown around in the wind which creates a really annoying background noise so you can't understand anything anyone's saying um and then there's that and, and then there's a big sort of gong thing in the middle that spot goes up and hits hits <laughs> he hits the it, yeah that's to symbolize that he's very horny bong. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly if i do not shag now bong yeah i will explode that's what i like bong. what i like about it is he hits the bong twice right so that sounds like he's doing drugs um he uh <laughs> he, which someone who wrote this must have been um but <laughs> there were 15 writers on this one jake i looked it up and it the script changed hands so many times because well, well, the head writer on this one was theodore sturgeon right and he sort of has a history of writing sort of some of the more well-received episodes of, of star trek as far as i can see and i don't understand how <laughs> uh <laughs> but it, it, yeah he, uh, spock goes and bangs this gong and then nothing happens and then he bangs it again about two minutes later, and then they all turn up. So they heard the first time. I don't know why he needs to bang it the second time. He's just being impatient. Um, but, you know, he's frustrated. I, we all understand that feeling. But then when they turn up, like, you'd think they'd be like, all right, hello, mate. We, we, we heard the gong. You don't need to kick, keep on. The best bit is, though, that he goes, I can hear the wedding party. Oh, and then just hit the bong again. <laughs> <laughs> but then you hear it another then it actually starts being audible. And I couldn't understand if that was a mistake yeah. or it's like Spock has super hearing. What he's got Vulcans are better at everything. Yeah, well they've got the Yes they are. Should... That is the point of Vulcans. Vulcans are better at everything. They're stronger, they're faster, they're smarter, they're sexier. <laughs> I'm going to stop going on about it now. But surely the ears <laughs> help in some way. So, like, as a as a, a a Star Trek noob, I don't know that much about the the sort of physiology of Vulcans. I've, I've always I'm aware of what they are, but like, do, do the pointy ears have a uh, a significance, or is that just what they look like, or does it give them any kind of sort of pixie related hearing powers? I think that is just what they look like, but they are supposed to have sensors that are in different ways, like attuned to... So, for example, Vulcan's got much stronger gravity than Earth, so Spock's three times stronger than a human because he's used to operating in that gravity. And I know that he is supposed to have sensors that at least some of his sensors are um, sharper than humans. Um, but I think a lot of his design was... I don't know how deliberately they made him look slightly like what 1950s conservative America would have thought was the devil, but certainly Gene Roddenberry played into that in a sort of tongue-in-cheek way, like giving him these kind of fey characteristics of like, ooh, look at the pointy ears, ooh, look at the pointy eyebrows, to make him sort of a little bit alarming. Not to us anymore, but back in the day. I think they did leave. Yeah, because I, I was going to ask about so having not seen any of the other uh, original series episodes. So, like for, for the listeners' uh, benefit, I have watched um, some of the more new Star Trek things. So I've, I've seen Discovery, 
um, and I've, I, I did watch all of Next Generation when I was a kid because um, I I bought them all from a uh, <laughs> I bought them all on VHS from a uh, an auction next to my house once, uh, and so I, I watched them all on VHS when I was about eleven and didn't really understand what was happening. I just liked the lasers. So I've got context for s- sort of some of the later production of Star Trek, but so I've seen what aliens look like in future Star Trek series. Do the other alien life forms in the original series all just look like humans with one different part of their anatomy uh, made pointy? Yeah, they yeah. look like <laughs> a human uh, with a black face. Or uh, a human with, um, let's just paint them red. Yeah. <laughs> uh, human, let's just paint them green. Uh, let's paint Manny, them blue and Manny, then give them some antennae. Do any of them... Are we going to talk about the space dog? <laughs> Are we going to talk about the space dog? Oh, okay. So, Jake, you're in for a real treat. There's a glorious, glorious episode in which they accidentally split people in two. Um, Kurt gets split into his evil side and his good side the evil side is a rapist so and i think that that probably came across better in the 60s than it does now <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh god but they the reason they find this out is because they accidentally split split a space dog in two and this dog is i am deadly serious it is a yorkshire terrier <laughs> with dv bottles <laughs> This is the exact content I want from the original series. (laughs) 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 I'm watching Leonard Nimoy very seriously scan (laughs) his Yorkshire Terry with Doody Boppers, saying it appears that the alien has been split into two sides. It's just one of the most wonderful moments in my life. Have they painted the dog in any way or changed its colour or is it just a normal looking dog? Just the, just, just the sort of blonde, shaggy terrier. <laughs> boppers. Oh, I'm so happy about that. <laughs> I love the idea of them all having to act against this dog as well. <laughs> like, it's like in modern stuff, it would be like Andy Circus with a tennis ball on a stick on his head or something. And uh, <laughs> in this situation, they've just got they've just gone. Oh, I think uh, Jerry from Sounds got a dog. We could use that. <laughs> Well, imagine if, you know, it was Andy Serkis with a tennis ball on his head, but then the producers were like, well, that's that's it. That's actually just what we want. You don't want to put <laughs> CGI, do CGI over the top. No, you don't understand. Gollum is just Andy Serkis <laughs> in a catsuit with a tennis ball on his head. We think that's a legitimate alien that audiences are going to buy into. <laughs> People will see this fantastic so picture that- and wholeheartedly believe in its existence. Yeah, so are there no... Like, other than the dog, are there no humanoid, uh, like, no other non-humanoid aliens in, in the original series? Because I understand there's a budget issue and yes, everything, so... there are plenty. Oh, okay. Um, but they are all in varying stages of ridiculousness. So there's a very excellent episode towards the end of series one where they basically have large blobs of hot glue that have then like solidified into sort of flappy rubber things and someone off stage is like very obviously like flinging them (laughs) at members of the cast and they're like oh no they're flying towards the air they're flying through the air towards us 
um, and then like splatting onto people. It's, in it's either a humanoid or blatantly a prop. That's where you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's no in between. That's all I want. The, the closest you get to an in between is the Gorn, the green sort of dragon yes. Godzilla type no. that has that amazing no. fight scene with Jim. Yes. No, I have. I have seen that because that's probably the most famous scene from from that show because that's when um kirk does his famous uh overhand the uh, fight move where it's he the classic william shatner fighting which is just better than normal fighting <laughs> because it happens in slow motion even though he's going at normal speed yeah and, and with that can we move on to the fight scene in a mock time uh, oh please yes. do. Can we talk about the weapons that they use in this fight a, scene? Oh, I've got I opinions. Swear to God, it's a, it looks it's a big like spade. A pole, <laughs> a pole with two dumbbells that are made of strapped to either end. And We're gonna have a fight because the Lerper controversial Star Trek opinion is better than a bat weapon. I will fight you on this, Nathan. What on earth are you? I doing? will have a lurper, you will have a battleth, and I will win. They are much more dynamic because the battleth has always bothered me because it's a plane that points at you when you use it. At least this is a weapon that you swing at someone and have multiple maneuvers that you perform. But at least the battleth is sexy. I mean, the lurper just looks like embarrassing. What, what, can I have some context, please? What's a battleth? Uh, a battleth is a Klingon sword that is like rounded. Wolf has one on uh, yes. Next Gen quite a lot. The, the Imagine two sword. scimitars yeah. stuck into I have seen that, like yes. bladed lightsaber and then with holes in the middle. Like a but really they look really awkward to fight with, uh, the Batleth, whereas I believe, th- I believe the Lurper is a weapon that could what, be developed. What, the Lurper developed. is like a symbol of elegance <laughs> <laughs> and agility. No, oh, it's, it's not. It, it looks like one of those, you know... You know, in the TV show Gladiators from the nineties, where they used to do that, yes. that fight with when the... you stand on a pole over a river and then you have to hit. Your I like with that game. Yeah, yeah, that's what <laughs> it looks like. Them into the ball yeah, it pit. looks like. That's what it yeah, looks like. Yeah, they were called pugil stick. I just, I think, yeah, I, 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 I can agree them. that the whip things that they use are total. Shit. Yeah, so like the whip but, things that they use are basically just—it's just belts, isn't it? It's just. It's, <laughs> It's those crap. It's like, belt with tambourines on it. Yeah, oh, yeah. We never got onto the tambourines. Uh, the, the tambourines start before the fight scene. There's the tambourines that get shook around a bit, which the sex tambourines. They, they are they're sex <laughs> tambourines. Tells you it's time to have sex. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah like we all have one of those, you know. Like, because uh, you know, you, you bring a. Le- the rich people hire a whole tambourine orchestra. For yeah. Their sex. Why, why do you think? Uh, <laughs> why do you think Liam Liam Gallagher has so many children? <laughs> Because Liam Gallagher's got so many children because he's always got he's <laughs> yes. always got a tambourine on him. He's always shaking this tambourine around. No, Liam Gallagher is a sexy Vulcan, and I'm going to repeat that until it's no. for continuity reasons not able to be edited out. Reject your version of reality, and I replace it. With we're the gonna we were going to discuss the fight scene, so discuss the fight yes. scene. Yes. Okay. So can we talk about how incredibly homoerotic the fight scene is? Let's just get that out of the way. Yeah. yeah obviously. It's unbelievable to me that they spend the entire episode building up about how if Spock does not have sex with his mate, then he will literally die because the Ponfar will burn him to a crisp of fever and he'll just go out of control. And then literally after rolling around in the sand with Jimothy Kirk for about (laughs) ten minutes, it's all fine. Suddenly, all of the tension has been released because he got to wrap a whip around his captain (laughs) and drag him about behind him a little bit. And then they do that thing where 
they're on top of each other they're sort of thrashing a little bit and you don't really understand what's going on but it kind of looks like they're dry humping in the sand and i love yeah, it there's, all there's, my soul. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, sort of grappling involved with it on on the ground but what I love about it from a sort of TV point of view is that they don't do any like normally in like modern films and stuff, whenever there's anything like that, it's all shot like close up and there's loads of super cuts so that it looks really dynamic. Whereas they've shot it entirely from a wide angle. So you can just see how crap it looks. And you just, well, it's because it's because you, um, this is to do with how they filmed it is that that wide angle on 60s quality television would hide the fact that they're obviously stunt doubles. Oh, right. Okay, of course. And, That's interesting, yeah. And but our... the other thing about it is that that wide angle also means that it's filmed more like a love scene yeah. where instead of getting <laughs> close-up shots of people swinging punches at each other, you have this wide angle scene of two bodies romantically lying atop each other in missionary position while they presumably dry hump into the sands of Dublin, <laughs> which is what I assume was happening during that fight. Yeah, well, yeah, because that, the only other films you see that are filmed entirely from one angle are pornos. So, like... <laughs> that... This is a Vulcan porno. Yeah. This is a Vulcan I think porno. It is, yeah. And how unbelievable that the entire wedding party turns out to watch the consummation of the marriage. I think the Vulcans are secretly all filthy. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I don't think it's a secret. What was I going to... Oh, that was it. The other thing about the fight scene is that why does every single thing they touch in the early stages break? <laughs> From Jim's shirt to the to the bong thing we were discussing earlier, to the lurpers themselves, literally any object they come into contact with in that entire fight scene, for some reason, just breaks. Yeah, I was going to bring this well, up. first because of the... all, you, you should know that James... Kirk's shirt ripping at the earliest given opportunity <laughs> during a fight scene is obviously a time-honored tradition by which they must stand. And when better to rip your shirt off than when Spock's trying to fuck you? Yeah, so obviously. I'm totally on board with that. Yeah, I, well, I was going to bring up the um, the fact that the the lurper breaks uh, because when it happens, it looks so bad. <laughs> like <laughs> it looks like there's been absolutely no effort exerted at all. In, in the the breaking of the the thing, it just it touches very lightly something, and then the top of it is no longer attached. Do we reckon you it think broke? That was intentional. Yeah. Do we reckon <laughs> it broke in an earlier like shot, and they quickly glued it back on and reshot it so that it looked like it breaks? Either that, or or oh maybe God. maybe it's like a um, maybe it, maybe this is like a sort of uh, a, a conspiracy theory where. Uh, because spoiler alert, there's another there's, an, there's there's a guy. What's his name? The 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 pure blood the pure bread, uh, pure blood Vulcan who um, Ston, Ston. The one that ends up marrying. To yeah, Frank. maybe Ston has purposely sort of sabotaged the the weapon so that it'll break in the fight with uh, because uh, he he's at this point thinking that he's going to be the one doing the fight. That's interesting, but I. I also find it really bizarre in the fight scene that we it's established in the show already that Spock is incredibly strong. He's much stronger than a human. I have in my head that they are three times stronger. I don't know where I've pulled that fact, but 
you know, in one episode we see him smash a computer terminal to bits. Yeah, that's this but episode. Then, armed with this, this matted mass. Oh yeah, sorry. Earlier in this episode, we see him smash a computer terminal to bits, and then in the midst of a fight scene when Ponfar is like filling him with the rages of pre-Sirakian Vulcan, he still can't beat Jimothy Podgy Shatner <laughs> in a fight. What is going on? Yeah, no, I agree, and and especially when it because it's pointed out in the episode that um, the, and I don't know how much this is supposed to be true and how much of it is uh, Bones lying to to Pow to try and uh, affect the, um, the 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 plan he's come up with, but they they say that because the the air's thinner and the temperature's so warm that uh, Shatner is supposedly at a disadvantage already. And and so Spock should be at a at a, at a bigger advantage. Yet he seems to still not be winning immediately, even though he's already. The only way I can really reconcile this is I think Jim Kirk has more combat training than Spock. Well, you can't tell who trained him. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't have combat training. What he's got is. Uh, He's read, he's read the Kama Sutra, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then he tries to use it as a fighting. Yeah, technique. exactly. <laughs> he's a martial arts technique based upon the Kama Sutra. Yeah, he's misunderstood the Kama Sutra and uh, and assumed that it's like a yeah a, a manual Doesn't for. It have self defense in it. This leads me to my second really big question. Well. This leads me to another really big question I have about the episode, which is, do you think that Tipau was in on Bones' plan? Because that's one of the only ways that I can reconcile the fact that this does end up with neither of them dying. And it just seems a little suspicious to me that she wouldn't have suspected that this might be the way things would go. Do you guys think that maybe she was in on it, Bones letting Kirk kind of fake his own death in order to save them both? I think she was definitely, if she didn't know it then, I think she quickly worked it out, because she ends up saying, like, sending the thing to say everything's okay, it's all chill, at the end. Because, like, Kirk says it's to Powell's, like, fault that Starfleet Command is no longer having a go at him, so... Yeah. I think she must have worked it out at some point not long afterwards and be okay with I it. Mean, I mean, for, for... I think she... Wanted it. I think she like is fully on board. I think she knows what's going to happen when Bones is like, "Oh, please let me hypospray him with this fluid that you're not going to check in advance." I think she knew which, what was he, going on exactly. Which he calls a a, a triox formula, right? Uh, that, that implies that it's got three oxygen molecules to it, uh, which means that it's ozone. So, so what he's doing is he's injecting spot. Uh, he's injecting Kirk with pure ozone. Which is poisonous. So, it, <laughs> if anything, if it was true, it would have killed him. <laughs> but That's the point where she knew, like, ah, he's up. I, I think we should we should point out for the listeners who, if you've not seen the episode, what what happens is uh, Bones sort of interrupts at a, at a crucial moment and gets the permission of Tapau to go and inject him with this formula that's supposed to counteract the fact that he can't deal with the uh, the the thin air on Vulcan. Um, and and then in what I would describe as the most obvious twist ever, it turns out that it was just a muscle relaxant that made him simulate death. So when they beam him back up to the Enterprise afterwards, miraculously he he is still alive. Um, 
and sneaks up on Spock for absolutely no reason. Oh, no, he, spe- he sneaks up on Spock because he's a prick. That's what he's done. <laughs> he sneaks up on Spock because it means we get to see Leonard Nimoy smile, and it's one of the few times we see Spock sp- smile with all of his teeth. Yeah, it's, it's, terrifying. it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Oh! It- it's beautiful. It's terrifying. It warms the cockles of my heart. <laughs> oh. I, I, I found the ending incredibly terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I find the line at the end really weird. Like when McCoy goes... What is it? In a pig's eye. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, that's about, not a dude? phrase. McCoy likes, <laughs> his, McCoy likes his metaphors. He's always going on about, like, you can't barbecue a duck over a landmine. And- <laughs> <laughs> Is that a real one, or have you just come up with that? Cause, uh, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm using I don't that. know. It sounds like a general bonesism. <laughs> Damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a linguist. <laughs> Oh, and also to clarify for the listeners, um, when Spock is being taken control of by the seven yearly biological functions of Vulcans in which they need to have sex or die, um, he is tricked by his fiance, who we only find out about in this episode, which again is a very Spock thing to have like intimate relations who you don't reveal to anyone in the show, including Jimothy, until they're literally at the point of being about to like cause some devastating impact on their life anyway so <laughs> the situation is that spock thinks he's going to fight um what was his name again scon ston not scon ston scone initially i thought was leonard nimoy in a different like get up proud vulcan scone oh can we talk about how ston only has a three head <laughs> like i know we talk about people who have five heads but like this is a man with a, one of the worst cases of three heads i don't know what you're talking <laughs> it's about it's true yeah no his forehead is so small normal people have four heads and ston has a three head. Does. yeah <laughs> i see ston has a three head and the... i'm now very self-conscious about what my forehead is <laughs> Ston slash scone slash scone. He's going. He he's essentially going out with to bring the, uh, the uh, Spock's supposed wife, fiance for want of a better word. She decides that she she picks Kirk for the the fight to the death um, instead of picking uh, Ston because as she explains at the end it's the most logical thing for her to do. the The thought process is that. Because she doesn't want to be with Spock, so it was if if he kills if Kirk kills Spock, then Kirk wouldn't want her for his wife, so he'd let her go, and she could be with Ston. If Spock wins, he wouldn't want to be with her because she'd tell him that he wants to go and be on the Enterprise, so she'd still get to be with Ston because nothing would have happened. So the, the, either way, she ends up getting to be with Ston. Whereas if she picked Ston, Ston might die, and then he'd be she'd be stuck without anyone so that that's the the logic behind it apparently but my thoughts were if if your argument it she just wanted to fuck with well him. i think so Let's because be because there's no logic behind her decision well, there's li- she wanted to fuck with <laughs> there's literally no logic involved in it though because if her argument is oh well if if, if spock won anyway then he would want to travel in the enterprise and it, then i'd just go back to being normal why didn't she just not do the fight and then because I think they both they have this mental link thing, so I think they were both getting horny. They needed to get some or do do this whole 
bullshit. Well, why didn't they just? Why yeah, didn't they the, just the, shag and get it over with? The culmination of the of Ponfar and then obviously like Vulcan intercourse is then also a mind meld. I don't know again how canonically that's established, but I think that's something that it must be an Enterprise because they have Ponfar and Enterprise. I think. Yeah, so she's telepathically linked to Spock in some way. So if he died because he hadn't shagged at the end of Ponfar, um, she'd be irreparably damaged in her mind, or she might also perish with him um, because that bond had never okay. been satisfied. Okay. So she needs him to either die or shag someone to death, or just roll around in the sand with his captain for a little <laughs> bit and dry rub against his sexy, sexy nipples. I have a... <laughs> I have a, a canonical question. As, as is established, as is established in uh, in Discovery, uh, Spock has uh, a sister called Michael Burnham, who yeah. is. And the, uh, am I right in thinking there's a sort of that they have a mental link between each other? So if one of them gets hurt, the other one feels it. Yeah, I think that's in Discovery. To be honest, Discovery is a show that blends together so much, I've no idea yeah. what is Every true in it. Every time there's a new Star Trek series, they kind of retcon the way the Vulcans work a yeah. little bit, or like add an extra layer of kind of complexity. Yeah. yeah, some people were really annoyed about the fact that Michael and Surak had that mental bond, because it is like, it's supposed to be something that you have only in very intimate circumstances, so very close family member, mm-hmm. um, exceptionally close friend, <laughs> gay lover <laughs> and also yeah parent to child kind of is reasonable given the circumstances uh yeah but you would expect that probably because spock's canonically supposed to be quite like a telepathically powerful vulcan um you despite the fact that he is only half vulcan um it seems completely reasonable to think that he'd have a small telepathic bond with his siblings right. i don't think that's unreasonable at all i think that was a very fair thing for discovery to add into okay well with that in mind then does that imply that spock knew that by not shagging this bird he he'd be purposely putting michael burnham through pain of his death as explained previously spock doesn't give a fuck about any of his family members and in fact refuses to acknowledge their existences entirely until they are forced upon him and he is forced to introduce them to his oh, okay. friends there's an episode in the beginning of the series of series one where he casually mentions that oh one of my ancestors was human your mother Spock, your one <laughs> of your ancestors. And there's also, obviously, a brother. Spock's got a brother, Cybok. Again, zero. That's, a, that's right. I mean, that is a whole other issue that we're that... not even going to go into here. So it could well be that Spock knows that every time he goes into Ponfar, Michael and Cybok, halfway across the galaxy, get a little bit edgy. <laughs> do they, yeah, do they uh, get horny at the same time? He really s- enjoys fucking with them. Do like they get horny at the same time as each other? So, like, if. if I would love to think so. Yeah, I would love that. That would, would love make to- the wanking interesting because that means that if one of your siblings is feeling <laughs> like it. <laughs> so, if they, if they. Yeah, if they, if they get to the culmination of the. <laughs> I was going to say the culmination of the wank, which seems like. It's like the the name of an episode of Star Trek, if anything. Um, <laughs> the, uh, when when one of the siblings gets to the culmination of the wank, does it, does the other one uh, ejaculate at the same time? Even if they're like, even if they're mid battle or like, or like in the mid. I love that. 
I really, I really hope that sometime in Discovery Series three, we see like Michael mid phaser battle with some like nefarious enemy, and suddenly she's just like, ah, ah, ah. Screen cuts to Spock like furiously ejaculating in the shower. I really want to make that canonical now. Like in in the, uh, I think I think every episode of this, every episode of Red Shirts, we should uh, we should add one thing to the Red Shirts canon that that, that <laughs> we're making canon. Yes, I nominate this to be the Red Shirts canon of the episode. Every time that Spock comes, so do all of his okay. siblings. Both known and unknown siblings <laughs> all come at the same okay, time. Okay, that's fine. So that's now locked in. That's that's Red Shirts canon from now on. Oh, there is one more other like episode-related thing I wanted to discuss, which was the opening of the episode. Because I love that soup just flying out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Splashing the side of the entrance. Yeah, because what's it? Nurse Chapel, is that is that her name? Um yeah, yeah, Nurse yeah, Christine yeah. Chapel, who serves the function of being the female emotional labour slash support for all of the male characters in the show, ran over. <laughs> we won't go into that. No, I, I mean, there is. I wrote mild overtones of sexism at the start, <laughs> and then later I wrote explicit overtones of sexism yeah. when they talk about when Smock says it is not the place of another woman to play servant to someone that they are not betrothed to or something like that. And I was like, no, Smock, it's not the place of a woman to play servant, even if they are married, <laughs> yeah. dude. They're, they're all, well, Spock really gets a benefit out of this, though, because Christine has just, like, a complete unrequited crush on Spock, and that just goes on forever. She's absolutely in love with him, um, and she'll do anything to take care of him. And does he reject her advances, you know, in a kind way? No, he just sort of lets her serve him plumbing soup and then throws it out into the corridor <laughs> like a tantruming but child the, the, she she's not perfect though because there is that weird scene in this episode where he's uh, asleep on his bed not under any duvet by the way weird um but she she walks in and just stands next to his bed and stares at him sleeping for a little bit which is i think that that is um a fair trade uh for the episode in series one where evil jim kirk tries to rape janice rand and then afterwards when he's back to his normal self he and spock are like uh get over yourself yeoman get back to work why are you crying in a corner your makeup's fine he didn't even rip your skirt (laughs) cheer up love it might never happen cheer up love you didn't actually get his dick in you did you (laughs) I mean, I think it's weird for a show that has done so much for uh, sort of homosexual overtones uh, and and bringing kind of homosexual tension to the masses. uh, It's very, very light on the uh, feminism. Yeah, well, Gene Roddenberry, I mean, as we go on with red shirts we're gonna come across in every series slight unfortunate things that come out of a american tv show that faces backlash from its producers but gene roddenberry he was progressive in some ways and definitely not in others and a lot of the progressive elements of star trek come out of other writers and a lot of the more feminist ends do not come out of gene he was a little bit yeah i think it i really 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 breaks my heart that um obviously in the original cast um jake you might not know this but the original pilot had a completely different crew so as you know from discovery um the original crew of the enterprise which was in the star trek pilot 
um, was Pike and then his exo is um, number one um, and then Spock's his science <coughs> officer. Um, and basically when Gene Roddenberry produced this pilot, um, the studio then said, you can't have an alien and a woman on the bridge. Jesus one. Christ. Uh, and they'd be alien. Star Trek kind of, it does break my heart a little bit, even though it is from the 60s, because there are some episodes where you get like these absolutely glorious gems, like Spock complimenting Uhura on being a good enough engineer to solve the Enterprise from blowing up on the spot. Or like, there's a great episode where um, they accidentally time travel and then pick up a US fighter pilot and he walks down the corridor and sees an ensign walk past um, and say, morning, Captain. And he's like, uh, a woman? And Kirk's like, a crewman. And I'm like, ooh, snap, snap, snap. <laughs> but then the rest of the time, you just get the most virulent misogyny. And <laughs> what is the point? <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, because I like Star Trek because it has had an interesting effect on me, and there are characters... I mean, this is probably why I identify more strongly with Next Generation. I watched all, like, most of the Star Trek series. I've watched some more than others, and Next Gen is one of my favourites, because growing up as someone with autism that was in the process of being diagnosed, a lot of the struggles Data, and to a lesser extent Spock, have mirror my own, because I didn't understand certain things. And then it's sometimes sad when you look at episodes when you're a bit older and you're like... Uh, they could have done that better, or uh, that could be there, not at all. But You have to appreciate them for what they are, and like, I just want to clarify that I'm so pleased to have started with this episode, because it is just genuinely one of my favourite episodes of all time. I just think there's so much in it that's wonderful. Firstly, just the whole bizarre plot of everything being about Spock's need to desperately copulate, <laughs> or he will physically Yeah, us. absolutely. Just the yeah, fact absolutely. that that is resolved in this bizarre combination of romantic and sexual tension um between him and jimothy just that line at the end where he says to tipao she says live long and prosper and he's like i will do neither because i have killed my friend yeah. and my captain my heart just breaks Aww. it's just such Aww. a beautiful moment and i really really love this I mean, episode with my whole I'm, heart I mean, it's one of i mean my I, I enjoyed it but i would like to point out that it does seem that the message of the episode is if you're sexually frustrated and you you feel like you need to let that out some way. Um, the way to fix that is by killing your best friend, <laughs> because that yeah. is what happens. As, I'll pretend to as kill soon them. as he kills, or as soon as he, he thinks he's killed Kirk, he does then get up and say, "No, the bloodlust is gone. I'm I feel fine." <laughs> so, like, it, it's not it's not the best message. <laughs> yeah, but I think that that whole like decision to make Vulcans <laughs> like that is really interesting as well. That like the the original like biological and social way that Vulcans interact is that they have these crazy primal impulses, that they're an incredibly primal race, they're an incredibly sexual race, they're almost the opposite of everything that they stand for post-Sirakian reform, where they all get kind of obsessed with logic. And I really like that they very ham-fistedly compare the sort of Vulcan and human side of Spock with the sort of Serakian logic rationality side and the pre-Serakian crazy primordial Vulcan sex fiend side. And maybe I'm biased because that just lends itself so well erotic yeah. fan fiction. <laughs> but I love that. I love it yeah. so much. 
so I think we've reached the end of episode one, guys. I think that was good for, for the first episode of, of Red Shirts. You guys happy with that? I enjoyed it. I had fun. It was fun. lovely fun uh, being able to uh, discuss the, the sexual tension within... Uh, the, the inherent sexual tension within both Star Trek uh, and uh, the Red Shirts podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think uh, episode two, um, which we're going to plan to release these weekly. And uh, I think episode two, we're going to move away from the original series this time. And we're going to review uh, an episode from uh, The Next Generation, my favourite series of Star Trek. Uh, Nathan, which episode are we doing? Let's do Darmok. I think my favourite Excellent. Episode. Okay, well, the next episode we'll be doing Darmok from uh, The Next Generation. Uh, oh, oh if, if you like this, by the way, tell your friends. Share it. Give us a, a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, uh, tell your friends. Uh, we've really enjoyed this. Um, all that remains is to say uh, goodbye and live long and prosper. We'll see you all uh, next time. Thank you very much. Goodbye.